This episode of Echoes in the Bone is brought to you by the Institute of Cultural Policy and Innovation, ICPI. ICPI, providing services in business development and coaching. ICPI, leaders in online training in event planning and intellectual property. Visit our website today at www.icpi-ja.com. Um, I have traveled the world. I've gone to 120 countries, thousands of cities, venues, airports, hotels. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy stories, crazy experiences, pushing the envelope, going to 23 countries in Africa, places that people have never been and have not been since. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dennis Howard. On this episode, I continue my talk with Steve Wilson, the manager of internationally renowned artist Sean Paul. Steve continues to speak about his own journey and his predictions for the Jamaican music industry. All right. Ah, good, good. So let's go back to you and your career. After G-Jam, you, 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 you've gone on the road with the big Sean Paul and... And that was supposed to be an awesome experience. So share it with That has, has been, continues to be amazing experience 20 years on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have traveled the world. I've gone to 120 countries, thousands of cities, venues, airports, hotels. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy stories, crazy experiences, pushing the envelope, going to 23 countries in Africa, places that people have never been and have not been since. Um, doing a show in Madagascar where they had to build and a venue out of Quartz containers, because Quartz was, in the, the furniture company is big in Madagascar. Um, and then we did the, 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 the event at their venue and they built the venue with containers, shipping containers. Wow. I mean, and when I said to people there, who was the last international artist to come here? They all look at me bewildered, like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, as an English speaking artist ever come here before? And they were like, no. Not, not none of them, not, not that any of them could remember. So certainly not for 30 years. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it was just, it's incredible to be able to carry, to be, been, been, been able to carry, you know, the flag of Jamaica and the flag of dancehall. Because Sean Paul is the dancehall, to me, he's a dancehall ambassador. He has yeah. taken dancehall to more places than anybody else can claim to. Um, and, and, and believe me, it is amazing, amazing, amazing the, the welcomes that you get. And then to go back to that country five, 10 years later and listen to the radio station and realize, that we have influenced how radio is programmed in that country, especially in Africa. No, oh, Joel Artis. So in the early days, uh, you, you started out not as the manager, but as the road manager. Correct. So it's about the early days when, when as Sean Paul as an uptown kid, you as an uptown kid, Jeremy as an uptown kid was struggling to get into this business. And, you know, Jeremy was one of the first persons to introduce Pro Tools and People used to laugh after the rhythms and say, the club town thing, that man. And then Beanie Man jump on the rhythm and the rest is history. Tell us about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Tell us about man, that. Man, I mean, the, Jeremy would better qualify to tell you all about that. But I remember the energy of Jeremy's studio just being this very palpable um, awareness of, the, of that you are around something that was in a genesis that was going to be continued to be important for a very long time. I mean, there was no doubt about it to me. When you went up there, you know, at Alfuda Jackson, and you saw the kind of people that were sitting on outside listening to what Jeremy was doing and listening to what Sean was doing and getting involved and getting interested. You know, you really felt, you, you really felt the, 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 
that's the awareness of being around something super special that was that was you know the nucleus of, of it happening and, and then the explosion that was to come after with the Beanie Man and then with the Sean Paul, you know, yeah. and, and just everything that blew up after that. And it's it's what sent us on the waves, you yeah. know, overseas. The great thing about Sean Paul's journey is that even after the playground rhythm, he was still not getting the kind of traction that that you know everybody's just dismissing at the job town dude. Being a man up under the playground or the man it mash up the players. Mash up the blitz. Yeah. And, and VP sign him and dead. Mr. Joel Chin, God rest his soul, got to work with Sean Paul. In fact, I remember the days when at VP they used to call Sean Paul, you know, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because he saw the vision and, and started to work with, with, with Sean Paul. Then we have yeah. this, this big song, which is Give Me the Light. No, from where I stand, Steve. Uh, Give me the light is not even the answer song. Give me, give, the me light. Actually, give me the light is actually a very interesting. Um, that's a subject for a lecture. You know, what yeah, I mean? yeah, tell because it's I not it, I, song for me. Because let me tell you, it is it, it, the, the song is diasporic in every sense. Absolutely. Because it was done outside. It was done by super dopes who who, who was uh, living in Florida. And, and embracing the kind of the music scene of Florida at the time, the lyrics were more geared to an American music scene because yeah. they give yeah. the light and pass the Joe, bus a little, a bus another matter of more and them type of stuff there. Mm-hmm. And, and we won't even talk about it in the music video. Uh, no, but the fact of the matter is. It took this collaboration between a label that is based in New York and an A&R that is based in New York, seeing vision of what you guys were doing at the foothill of Jacksil, collaborating with a, a, a guy who was working with people from all over the world and R&B and hip hop artists, but still a Jamaican foundation and Sean Paul coming together and creating this massive, massive, massive song. Well, it, it, it's very interesting um, because, I mean, it, whenever you hear a story, and it, as a story goes on, it becomes legend, right? Yeah. And everybody has their perspective of, of what happened when and how it went on. And that's not something I'm going to even start to foray into because, um, to be honest, I started working with Sean sort of after he, he voiced Give Me Light and it started to burn up was when I first started really working with Sean. Yeah. So I, I wasn't there when that, when that story happened and I heard versions of it, which may or may not be exactly how you heard it or you experienced it. But the point is, is that you're absolutely right about the diasporicness of that song. And Troy, Troyton, you can't leave out Troyton in that oh, story, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Troyton called Sean and said, yo, come voice on this. And Sean went and voice on it and kind of was like, let me try to do like a kind of American vibe on it that American people will, will get and understand and kind of mm. cross that bridge between dancehall and hip hop, which was it's a very short bridge anyway, right? They're, they're cousins, right? Um, and I, I don't think even that at the time Sean thought like, oh, this is like one of my best songs that I've ever voiced or anything. Sean Canada said, well, let me just have to do it. And then when it starts to blow up, I think everybody was surprised. It wasn't engineered, is in my understanding, it wasn't engineered by a VP, for example. Maybe Joel was involved in some way. I don't know. Like I said, I wasn't around. But I, I don't my think understanding was, 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 it was more of a reaction. Yeah, I don't think it no. was involved with the song per se. But okay, okay, okay. I wasn't sure. Was, I wasn't sure what you're saying. Yeah. But, but, remember, but remember, what's important is, yeah. like you said, what's important is, is the reaction to the song. When the song started to react, Joel was like, hey, 
you know, and VP was like, this song starts to blow up. Yeah. What's going on? Who is this guy? What, what, you know? And and that's when the, the that's when everybody starts to run and throw wood in the fire. If you're if yeah. too young, put it that way, right? And then and then give me the light became, you know, give me the freaking bonfire. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, and then the video, like you rightly you rightly allude to, was yeah. that that I think that could have been the one of the major, major, major cornerstones of Sean's international success was that video, you know, yeah. and the way that it was done and the way it was approached and 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 the way you know that it got that BET and MTV story, which in those days yeah. it was you either had to have a, a video story to get on the radio or a radio story to get on the video channel, you know, yeah. and we never really had either. So here's my analysis of the video. It was done by Little X, Trinidad Extract, so I understand the Caribbean vibe. Correct. Choreography, the choreography was done by a Canadian Jamaican, primarily Canadian dancers, because I figured that Jamaican dancers at the time could not do that song justice because of the beat and the, and, and the, and the, the kind of uniqueness of the beat. Because it wasn't the that was the what was the the, the the beat at the time that was really it was more a so it kind of couldn't they, they they wouldn't do do it I think Jamaican dancers might not have been able to do it justice the way sometimes sometimes details interrupt a great story yeah. but um <laughs> what happened really basically was that 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 little X was based in Toronto. Toronto yeah. is called Hollywood North. Mm -hmm. And the reason they call it that, it, 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 it's, it's a great place to shoot because all of the things that you need to shoot are there, yeah. but it's much cheaper because yeah. it's Canadian dollars. So our budget stretched so much further in Canada. And that's one of the main reasons we shot that video there. And mm -hmm. we drew on the resources that were there, the massive Jamaican diaspora that is in Canada. So yeah. we wanted to make as Jamaican a video as we could with that international flavor. And it wasn't necessarily that we said, oh, Jamaican dancers couldn't do this or that. But it was like, well, we have Jamaican, um, Jamaican blood dancers yeah. in yeah. Toronto yeah. who had choreography and ideas and vibes and grew up around dancehall and hip-hop. So yeah. they much more kind of had that, like you said, that, that, that readiness to be like, oh, we don't have to deal with this, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and they came and, and they had all these very unique moves and all this. I mean, we used a lot of those people in subsequent videos as well because there yeah. was so much creativity happening yeah. in dance, in yeah. choreography, you know, yeah. in, in Toronto. That yeah. was, it was pretty much, it was a massive resource that, that nobody had tapped. Yeah. And so when Sean tapped it, people were kind of like, oh, what is this? Like, what's going on? Yeah. What are yeah. these dances? What are they doing? What are those dances? You know, and dance how people could look at them and be like, oh, we see the extraction of what's in there. Yeah. You know, we know that those people are Jamaican or Jamaican connected. You know, so there was enough in it that we could feel familiar, but that international people could feel like, wow, that's interesting to us too. And exactly, that's, that's like, that is, so my analysis is on point. Because yes, I'm, not yes. saying, I'm not saying that it was intentional. Remember everything, you know, serendipity is, is part of it. Absolutely, and absolutely. In hindsight, we can do an analysis and say, this is how it looks. And uh, from, from where I, and you, and you have to admit this, Steve, if it was some Jamaican dancers that do it, it, it wouldn't have had the same kind of, uh, of, of, of uniqueness and freshness because at the same time, a lot of international videos were done by internationally, well, big Jamaican artists that were signed to major labels and they did their yeah. video here and it never had the same kind of effect because of the, 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 as I said, if it was a, if it was a, a, a 90s dance, I'll beat up, boom, boom, 
we would have killed it. But because yeah, 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 yeah. different orientation, it was the right combination with the choreographer from a Canadian perspective with a different kind of beat that 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 made it successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, the, 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 the richness of that diaspora that was there, was, yeah. you know, is and continues to be something that, that, that we draw. And I mean, I, I think that a big part of the reason why Drake sounds the way he sounds and does what he does is because, you know, bl a black Canadian culture to a very large part is Jamaican or certainly Caribbean. And so yeah. he would have grown up around a lot of that music. Yeah. I, I, I said black culture in Toronto is Jamaican culture. It's not, it's not American culture. It's not hip hop yeah. culture. It's basically. Oh, no, it's definitely not American. It's definitely not American. In my academic work, I talk about the creative echo chamber. And I see Toronto as one of these, what we call borderless creative cauldrons, which is, is, is influenced by the Jamaican diaspora that lives there and bring the culture there. And so when people are basically saying, hey, you know, the, the, are people trying to steal our music, it, it, it is ridiculous because even the song- It's work, our people. Yeah, it, 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 even the song, uh, work, 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 work. A Jamaicans produce it. Boy, yeah, wonder, yeah. born and bred in a Jamaica, well, not bred in Jamaica, but born a Jamaica and bred right. in a Jamaican context. Community, in, yeah. In Toronto. Yeah. Drake used to live next door to them in, I think it was Scarborough. In, in, yeah. in next door to Scarborough, where is, is a concentration of Jamaican people. Exactly. So, so, you, so you can then, because the man, well, so the man grew up a particular way, talk of Jamaicans in their presence, because Boy Wonder was a key producer for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Talking Jamaican, you know, uh, 1918 or 1819, that, that other producer guy. Him uncle is rapper Robert. So the man them grew up in- I didn't even know that. You know? Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I sometimes must have a more nuanced analysis and critique of the influence of others uh, when, they, when, they, when they, they, they try to do our music. Give us two of the most interesting stories of you on the road with Sean Paul. Uh, yeah, I, I always say that's such a large part to dip into that a lot of time I don't know where to start. Um, I, I mean, it, it is such a incredibly rich, uh, um, very just, man, I mean, so, so many things eye-opening so many things expected and so many things unexpected i remember i'll tell you i'll tell you one story that that um jumps to my head i remember when we first started going to africa one of the first places or uh, went to was uganda and i just you know i i mean you ask the average jamaican when you go to uganda what you're going to expect i don't think you're going to get i mean you're probably just going to get blank stairs right and that was pretty much me as well i didn't know what to expect over there we landed there and at the airport it looked as if um, there was some kind of Bob Marley um, revival going on because there was all these Rastas at the airport with all these big, massive, colorful flags, Rasta flags and Rastas. Um, and I thought, oh, somebody else must be, you know, coming. You know, cause they're, they're coming here to, to welcome this reggae artist, you know, this traditional reggae artist, you know. And Sean came out and they all started screaming and, and I was like, wait, they're here for us. And there's this big Rasta community in Uganda that, I certainly didn't know about, and they welcomed us as if we were the natural sort of procession of what should come after Bob Marley. Yeah. And they welcomed us just like that. They were like, yeah, man, we respect you just like we respect Bob. And we're like, whoa. I was like, whoa, anyway, I was, I was stunned. 
And yeah. as we drove out to the airport and towards the hotel, which was a pretty long drive, the roads were lined with people, Dennis. Yeah. Lined with people just to want to look at the motorcade of what was coming. And we're in a van and the windows were open and people were throwing these little things to the window, like this, just throwing little things to the window. We're like, what's that? What is it? They're throwing something to the window. We didn't know if it was projectiles of what kind, you know? So we said, why are the windows up? Shut the windows. And then somebody finally said, looked on the ground and picked up one of the projectiles and said, yo, it splits. <laughs> oh, my the window, oh, my the window. <laughs> you know? And we were just yeah. like, what? Like, but they had so understood the culture yeah. and the rasta yeah. and the connection to music and the, and the reggae and the bop that they were like, we know you, you're our brothers. Yeah. And we were like, we just didn't, we were like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that this was going to be like that. You know, so that was something that's a very shocking and surprising story to me. And then, and then to me, what this, I think the most amazing thing is the way how music traverses language and culture. It doesn't matter if it's Middle East, if it's Africa, it's Muslim country, it's Hindu, it's India, it's America, it's Europe. It doesn't matter where we go, where we went. It was always this open arms and this attempt even to sing to, to sing the music and to sing the lyrics, even though they, they didn't understand or completely mispronounced or didn't even know what the words were saying. You know, just this wholesale... But I don't know, there must be something about the beat of reggae that just makes people feel good, Rasta. Because one, one thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. Hit me with but I think it's pain. I think it's reggae, reggae more than, reggae reggae more music. than music. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a it's a really interesting thing to me. And then the other thing was that everywhere you went, you, you saw people there trying to also create their own forms of reggae, right? So what that shows you also is that. It inspired them so much when Bob made music and when those early generations made music that they were like, boy, if we can't get another Bob Marley, we're going to create one, you know. We're going to find somebody in our country who can yeah. do this because there, there was such a thirst for it, you know, and there still is such a thirst for it that I think just worldwide it is, it is something that's clamored for. You're an author now. Tell us about that. I'm a creator. I would, I'm not sure if I'm an author yet. It's a <laughs> book mostly of pictures. Yeah. Um, there are some quotes in there, mo yeah. most of them from my father, my grandfather's, some of them from me. So the distillations of, of knowledge. That's authorship. Own, well, all right. the title, all the title, authorship. I will, I will. I, I, trust me, I, 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 I've always wanted to create something and put something out there that is public, you know, public, publicized and therefore publication and therefore now open to the public's, um, you know, criticism, acceptance, yeah. love, you know, and ownership. So I don't own it anymore. So whatever you say it is, is what it is, right? So, and, and, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about art is that art ceases to belong to the artist once it is made public. And it, it, that's a really, I don't think there's anything else that's like that. And it's really quite a unique experience for me because I am going to it for the first time, even though I have been around it for so very long. Mm. So I've always been the guy helping the creator to get their music to the market or to help the market to understand that creation. And now I am that person. You know, and it, it's 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 really quite eye-opening and unique um, from my perspective to be able to to be able to be doing this one, and then also to understand so much about what it feels like to know be a creator that when people either react wonderfully, you feel great, and when people react less than wonderfully, you kind of feel like, oh, you don't understand how much I put into this, and you don't realize how important it is, and you didn't see the nuances, and you didn't see the little thing in the corner there. So, yeah, and yeah. you want people to to sort of drink it in and really experience it on on that level. And it, it, it's, it's been poignant. It's been absolutely poignant and, and, and life-changing for me and that I did it in my 50th year. I always said that, boy, by the time I was 50, I wanted to have at least one thing 
out there that I alone created, you know? I, I took all the pictures and I wrote all the quotes in there. So, I mean, my father turned 85 last year. Um, he and I are both born on the same star sign, which is Libra, as is my son. So it's kind of like a multi-generational, as are you, yes. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was a multi-generational... Um, yeah, effort. Effort, yeah. You know, and, and, and something that was important to me because it's called look down, shit yeah. you might have missed. And so to me, it's about looking down to my son and saying, son, here are some things to help you grow up. And then also looking up at my father who's looking down at me and saying, son, yeah. I'm glad to see that a lot of the lessons I taught you. Because my father, when he read it, you know, he cried. He said, he said, I can't believe that you remember Mm-hmm. so much of the things I said and took on board so much of what I said to the point where you put it in a book. Like, as a father, you never really know what falls, you know, and, and creates growth and what falls on the wayside and dries up in the sun. You don't really know. Yeah. You know, so it's, really, it's pretty powerful to yeah. see that. And so I wanted to set that down so that my kids could look at it, you know, later on and be like, okay, I wasn't ready for it when you were telling me, but let me go read it now and see what you are saying. Daddy. Although you say you, you could make it as a musician, I'm hoping that you might do something musically because there are different ways to express yourself musically. You know, True. You're, you're, and I'm open to it. I'm open. The production and you've been in the business and, and you, you, I've known you for a while now, a couple of decades. And uh, I, I see you as a very creative soul. So I'm so happy that you, you know, put this book together and, and really taking time out to express yourself instead of being what we call the cultural intermediary, which is the man, yeah. get the shit. <laughs> well, well to, so, so, to, to be honest, I, I, I have I've participated in production many times. Um, yeah. I do have one project, which is called Transdub Massive, which is a very much, a lot of it is my brainchild, but yeah. I, I, I don't say that I'm the author of it because I did not, playing instruments nor did I lend my vocal talents to it in any way so I'm definitely a creative energy behind that project and I continue to be we just put a new single out with um uh, with Eddie Fitzroy uh, God rest his soul and Tanya Stevens mm-hmm. which is which is you know doing very well it's out there now it's called System is Burning a very timely song but um I, 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 I always felt like I have so much just respect and veneration for the people that actually create music that I've, I've never felt like I could jump up and say, oh yeah, this is, you know, I did this or this is mine. Because I know that so many other hands, voices and fingers had to be involved, you know, for that to happen. It's totally different than being able to, than, I've never walked into the studio and said, okay guys, here's my vision. You play this, you play that, you sing this, you sing that. To me, if I did that, I could then say, well, that's mine and I did that. Mm. I, I participated in Transdub Massive, but this mm. book, I did it. Yeah. Good. And it's a different feeling. An awesome feeling. Yeah, absolutely creating awesome. Something, creating something is just awesome. Sometimes when I write a song and uh, months or years after, I, I, I think about it and say, what was I thinking when I wrote that song? Because after a while, as you say, once you create it, it, be, it, be, it, be, it becomes something else. And yeah. it's, like it's not like it's own. Yeah, it's not like you. And then I was wondering, how the hell did I come up with these lyrics at this particular time or we're producing a song and it comes out a particular way and when you listen back to it, you say, really? Hey, it's, it's me to that? You know, so it, 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 it is really a good feeling. Now, the, the, you as a, what we call a cultural intermediary have to deal with the business part of it. I will mention some instances where the business part, the, 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 the emotional 
in uh, the emotional weaknesses trump the, the business acumen of the people in the business. What, what you have to talk about in, in the final moments, tell us how important dealing with the business side of the entertainment or the creative industries is. Well, I mean, I, I, as you said, as a cultural intermediary, I, I think that's a, it's, it's, it's my job, it's your job, it's you know, people like us. It, it is important to keep the train on the track, right? So yes, these people will create music, and a lot of times artists are very emotional people, and also and, and, and are swayed by you know things that people say, opinions. You know, I, I think one of the worst things that would happen to music is social media. Um, I, I I don't like that fans get to be that interactive with their opinion about things. I don't I, I I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't personally like it. I think that artists get very caught up in it and can get very emotionally crushed. When, when, when they're doing something and they put it out there, they put something out there that is their heartfelt work and then people shit all over it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's very painful and I don't think people should be given that access to be able to do that so easily. Um, and then unfortunately, it shapes what the artist will then create or create after or be afraid to create, you know, or even before they create it, they'll be like, the artist will create something and say, boy, if I put this out there, people are going to kill me for you. You know, so I'm not going to bother put it out. You know, I mean, there must be lots and lots and lots of music that's being shelved by artists because of a fear of 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 um of judgment. You know, um, on socials, like I said. But I just, I mean, I, I think that artists should be art, an artist is a very important part of society. It's a mirror. Um, it's, it's it's a microphone. It's something that we need to look at. I don't think we should judge art. I don't think we should judge artists. I think we should look at them for what they are, which is an echo, like you said, an echo in the bone. It is literally telling us what's going on in our bones. You know, it's it's like if something drops on your toe and then you're going to ignore the pain. That's that's what what we're doing when when you ignore what the artist is saying or to try and vilify it because we don't like how it sounds or we don't like what them say. It's to me, it's like, well, society is saying that. So if you don't like it, you have to address the root problem. You can't just say, you know, like how that person is said that or the violence in the music where does the violence in the music come from it comes from the society if there was no violence in the society there'd be no violence in the music yeah. you know so I, I i think it's very important that an artist should be left to create unfettered as much as they as much as they want you can choose to ignore or listen as much as you want and i think that gatekeepers are important like yourself gatekeepers for our ears it's yeah. in the old days you couldn't just get music on the radio you couldn't just put out a record you had to go through five people who said this is worthy to be heard nowadays that doesn't happen anymore nobody can put out music but there's still somebody who says okay from the vast amount of music that is out there this is what you should listen to that's what a playlist is that's what a dj should do when i go to an event or a party or even tune into a podcast i expect that you have already listened to what is there and said here are the things that i think are important for you to hear yeah, you know, you you are a a a, a, a chef, an auditory chef. You know, and, and I think that those gatekeepers are important, and I think that artists should be left to create, just like chefs should be left to cook. And then, you, when you come, you taste the food, you don't like it, then don't eat it, and you don't yeah. eat anymore. But understand that the energy and, and 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 creativity that was put into that comes from somewhere, and is and and is influenced by what is happening in society or what happened in their home or what happened at their school, or whatever, whatever, whatever have you. With COVID-19 and the shutdown and the desperation that creatives are feeling, and justifiably so, what's in the, what's, I'm gonna make you put on your, your future, futuristic act now, because 
I, 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 I believe that most of us have a little futurist in us, futurism in us. And as Afrofuturists, we, we... That's funny we, you said that, because that's exactly what I was thinking. We, we predict what is going to happen. So tell me what you think is going to happen for us uh, in, in terms of Jamaican artistry, not just the music industry, every part of it, fashion, everything. Um, I, I think what's very interesting is that, you know, COVID has made the world smaller. We're a lot more aware of what's going on in other countries, the suffering in other countries, the art in other countries, the music in other countries than perhaps we ever have been. Um, and I know a lot of people have been locked in a lab for the last 14 months making music. So I would say 2021, 2022 are going to be the most content rich years in existence that we've ever seen. There's going to be more art being pumped out and put out. And I think everybody's going to have to adjust the proposition. And a lot of things are going to get lost. And in years to come, when things slow down, people are going to come back and look at some of the things that were created in this year and next year and go, wait a second, we missed this, you know? We didn't check this out, you know, because, and it's, it, you know, like, people are going to come back and be like, I can't believe I missed this. It's just so yeah. crazy. Yeah. And so that, is, that is my prediction. I, I, I think that, you know, what is, what is relevant right now, which might be either music to escape to or music that talks about what's happening. Those are two things that people are going to really cotton to know. And everything between those two slices of bread could very well get missed out. And it would have to be revisited later on. You know, I, I, I think, for example, R&B or romantic songs and music right now is something that might be missed because people are like, boy, I'm going to have time to think about that. You know? Oh my God, romance are great. I can't care anybody go out. I can't, you know? Yeah. But things that are, like I said, either escapist or really talking about what we're going through are going to be really, really, really paid attention to. And everything else might get a little ignored for now, because I do think people will come back to it. Brilliant. Brilliant assessment in terms of, of the future. Steve, it was wonderful. As usual, my brother. Maximum respect. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Good. Yo, thank you for taking in the show, man. Really appreciate you guys checking us out. And if you were struck by something in this episode, you have a comment, a question, anything like that, feel free to drop it below. And hey, give us a five-star review while you're down there. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss out on an episode.